0: It's been 3,224 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 305 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. (coughs) We hadn't planned to publish an episode today, but due to unforeseen circumstances entirely out of our control, we weren't able to record an episode yesterday. There will not, however, be a new episode tomorrow, nor on December 31st or January 1st, and we will be focusing on special reports in the first week of January. Our full situation reports and regular update podcasts will start up for 2023 on January 11th. Of course, if there are any major developments during that time, we'll jump in with coverage and analysis. With that out of the way, let's jump straight into regional updates, starting in the Donbas region in Luhansk. There was mostly positional fighting along the entire axis, with weather and ground conditions somewhat improved but slowing operations. Mercenaries with Rybar described it as, quote, taking the day off, but that is likely some propagandist spin— based on videos and social intelligence. On the Svatova axis, Russian attacks were repulsed in Novoselevsky, Andriyevka, and A video showed Ukrainian forces just outside the village of Kolomeyichyche, indicating a marginal advance, so we moved the line of conflict east. Serhii Haidai, Luhansk Oblast administrative and military governor, reported that the Russian administrative control in Svatova has been withdrawn and moved to Luhansk. On the Kremina axis in Ploshanka, Russian drone video showed Ukrainian troops just south of the center of the village and advancing north. Mercenaries with Forganzo report that Russian troops attempted to push Ukrainian forces out of Ploshanka. So, based on the Russian video and report, we've moved the line of conflict east of the village. A liberation report must come from Ukrainian officials or extensive video evidence, so for the time being, the town remains contested. In Chervonopopivka, there was a report from War of an effort to push Ukrainian troops out of the town, which failed, and multiple reports from Russian sources that Ukraine holds physical control of the P-66 highway ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that's a supply line. Based on these reports, we've moved the line of conflict east of Cervanopopivka and Pishane. There were artillery strikes and continued fighting in Dibrova, with no change in the situation. On the Lysychansk axis, there was positional fighting in Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk. Fighting along the axis has reduced to artillery exchanges, reconnaissance, and DRG activity since Private Military Company, or PMC Wagner Group, transferred fighting to the Russian military. In northeast Donetsk, on the Donetsk-Luhansk administrative border, Russian forces continue spoiling attacks southwest of the Ukrainian advance on Chervonopopivka. The general staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported fighting for the second day in a row, quote, "...in the area of Yampolivka." Out of an abundance of caution, and because this indicates this is more than reconnaissance or DRG activity, we've moved the line of conflict west to the Luhansk-Donetsk administrative border. There's no visual evidence to indicate this is a large-scale action, and there have been no reports from Russian sources of any success in the area. On the Solidar axis, the GSAFU and the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, reported fighting near Rozdolivka. The GSAFU reported an attack was successfully repulsed, while the Russian MOD reported Ukraine suffered heavy casualties. Now, PMC Wagner would have led the fighting. Yevgeny Prigozhin has repeatedly called out the Russian MOD, the Donetsk and Luhansk People's Republics, or DNR and LNR, and Ramzan Kadyrov for overstating and or taking credit for PMC Wagner's efforts. We've expanded the gray area to the southern edge of Rozdolivka, because the GSAFU reported that Ukrainian forces defended their positions in Yakovlivka, likely in the northeastern part of the town, and Wargonzo reported fighting, quote, southeast of Yakovlivka on December 23rd. If you look at the map, it becomes clear that there's a lot of fog of war in this area, and one or more entities are not reporting the whole situation. We are confident that there was fighting near Rozdolivka. If it was intense, as the Russian MOD stated, then it's pretty unlikely that Ukrainian forces are in Yakovlivka. There was no change in Soledar, and fighting continued in the southern part of Bakhmutska with no change in the situation. On the Bakhmut axis, we believe we have a firm grasp on the situation east of Bakhmut based on several videos released in the last 48 hours drone video showed fighting and artillery strikes on the mattress factory on the eastern edge of Bakhmut. Our reluctance to move the line to the M3, or E-40, highway based on only a drone video was well placed. We moved the line of conflict slightly west based on the video, but we believe we have a solid understanding now of where Ukrainian and Russian forces are in northeast Bakhmut. Video released yesterday morning claims that Ukraine has full control of Opitne and shows Ukrainian tanks in the Bakhmut suburb with no sound of artillery or gunfire. Based on the video, we've adjusted the line of conflict east and south of the town. The situation remained unchanged in Pidhorodne, Klitscheivka, Andreevka, Kurdyumivka, and Mayorsk. Video shows Ukrainian forces occupying former PMC Wagner positions and also shows a lot of dead Wagnerites on the western edge of Ozaryenivka. This confirms our earlier assessment that Russian forces don't hold territory west of the canal and that Ukrainian forces hold a sliver of Ozaryenivka. In southwest Donetsk, the most intense fighting continues around Marinka, where recent Russian videos undermine the claims made by the self-declared leader of the DNR, Denis Pushlin, that Marinka had been captured. Russian sources released multiple see-how-good-we-are-at-war videos that prove 100% that they never crossed Druzhby Avenue and lost territory in the north-central part of the city. Either that or they're doing a magnificent job of attacking their own troops. Well, okay, well, actually, that, that could be possible. Otherwise, there was minimal activity across the front, On the Horlivka axis, fighting was reported in New York and Krasnohorivka, the one north of Avdivka, with no change in the situation. According to Russian and Ukrainian sources, elements of the 1st Army Corps of the DNR continued to try to recapture Vodyana. Nothing changed in Первомайский, Pisky or Nevlsky, and I guess the 1st Army Corps took the day off in Novomikhailivka. The Russian MOD claimed there's continued fighting around the settlements of Volodymyrivka, Novomayorska, and Prechistivka, with no other source, Russian or Ukrainian, supporting their report. Moving on to Kherson and Zaporizhia. On Christmas Eve, Russian forces unleashed indiscriminate shelling across the city of Kherson, targeting civilians in the largest attack since the start of the Russia-Ukraine war. Ten civilians have been killed and 55 wounded, and the city is being constantly shelled, including the wide-scale use of thermite munitions across civilian areas. The situation at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant is stable, with the International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, reporting no shellings in the area for over a month, contrary to Russian MOD and Russian propagandist claims. IAEA Director General Rafael Grossi reported that progress was being made on demilitarizing the power plant. Shuttle diplomacy is used because Ukrainian and Russian officials refuse to talk to each other during the negotiations. Quick sidebar here, shuttle diplomacy is when a third party or mediator travels between negotiating parties who, for whatever reason, won't talk to each other. Grossi reported the plant is understaffed and the employees are experiencing significant psychological stress because of working conditions, workload, and the ongoing war. In Russian-occupied Militopol, two officers of the Russian GRU were killed by insurgents in a car bombing on December twenty-third. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykoliv, and Odessa region, the Russian Black Sea fleet now has three missile carriers on patrol— with the capacity to launch up to 20-caliber cruise missiles, supporting our assessment of an elevated risk of missile attacks on Ukraine during Christmas. Russian sources claim that a December 23rd explosion in Crimea was caused by an Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 Kamikaze drone falling mid-flight and crashing. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. Ukrainian intelligence reports that Iran continues to refuse to send short-range ballistic missiles, or SRBMs, to Russia, countering earlier reports that a deal had been reached. The U.K. defense intelligence reported that Russia is running critically low on cruise missiles and other precision munitions, limiting their ability to launch attacks to just once a week. The United States Senate passed the $1.7 trillion omnibus 2023 budget, which included authorization to provide up to $45 billion in aid to Ukraine through September 30, 2023, which is the end of the fiscal year. The passage required a supermajority in the Senate of 60 votes and passed easily with bipartisan support. The bill passed in the House, mostly along party lines, and was signed into law by United States President Joe Biden before the Christmas break. In a sign that Congress will be in a state of dysfunction and infighting over the next two years, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell declared he would not bow to pressure from Trump-supported candidates or representatives. While we shy away from reporting on American politics, the implication here is that Ukraine will almost certainly continue to have broad support from the entirety of the U.S. government. In Germany, the Green Party called for the government to release Leopard 2 tanks to Ukraine, and to stop playing regional politics that is extending Ukrainian suffering. Self-declared president of Belarus and uncool Lando Calrissian Alexander Lukashenko is spending Christmas in Moscow with his bestie Vladimir Putin for a, quote, working visit. North American Aerospace Defense Command, or NORAD, reported they were tracking a freight aircraft registered in Denmark that, at the time of recording, was observed over Indianapolis, Indiana, and appeared to be traveling south by southwest at a speed of nearly 3,000 meters per second. United States defense forces have not been deployed, as reindeer are a low-level threat when airborne. NORAD started, quote, tracking Santa in 1955, when a newspaper advertising a phone number for Santa accidentally printed the phone number for then-Continental Air Defense Command. When Air Force Colonel Harry Shoup answered the phone, the child on the other end asked if he was Santa. Well, obviously, Colonel Shu played along, and as more and more children called for Santa, an officer was assigned to man the phone and continue the ruse. NORAD now tracks Santa's whereabouts every year on their website as, quote, one of the Department of Defense's largest community outreach programs, end quote. And that's what we know. Join me again on Tuesday for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone.